first time that uh, I travel to Haiti uh, to go visit Danita is the very first thing that you see, uh, very literally as we're crossing the, the border from the Dominican Republic into Haiti, is uh, this medical center that, that rises literally as a beacon above uh, the chaos. And uh, it's obviously a beacon of healing, of physical healing, uh, but then getting there on the campus and seeing the work that's being done uh, within to heal children, to heal uh, hearts that have been broken of orphans and families that are just hit by the brokenness of Haiti. Uh, it's an incredible thing. And as we partner with the orphanage down there, uh, it really is uh, my desire that each one of you would get a chance to see it in some way, but more importantly, to be a part of what God is doing uh, down there. And that's why we're partners uh, in down there. So I'm going to be going back down uh, just a couple months, September 16th or 22nd. I'm leading uh, a team down. Um, there's still a few spots for that, so, uh, but we got to be moving pretty quick on that. So if you're interested at all, I know there's concerns about schedules and finances and uh, all of those things, but even if you're interested, talk to me today. I'd love to tell you more about that. And then we do have other trips. Uh, in December, we're going to have a trip, and then we're looking at uh, how we do the medical mission uh, next year. And so um, maybe in March that will be. And so if you're interested at all, um, let us know. Um, glad to be here with you uh, this morning. Um, glad to be back with you. Glad to meet many of uh, you uh, this morning, some of the visitors uh, for the first time. My name is John. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm our lead pastor here, and um, I'm really glad that you're here, whether you're visiting or whether it's good to see your face again. I've missed being here myself. Youth uh, in grades 5 through 12, I'm glad that you've been in here, but I'm going to go ahead and release you to your time right now. So, Jeremy is ready to uh, receive you over there. Uh, go and have a great time. Thanks for worshiping with us uh, this morning. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, some of you may have been visiting in the past few weeks and know that I haven't been here for about the past month. Uh, I've been doing uh, some various things. One, got an opportunity to go uh, on a retreat with my wife uh, for a week, which was an incredible time, leaving our four kids for seven days and getting away and just being able to... Uh, uh, get with one another, uh, and to uh, be mentored by another couple on that retreat. And then I was away for a wedding for one of our young discovery couples. Um, and so, uh, and then I've been on the East Coast for a vacation uh, the past two weeks visiting uh, our family back there. But it's uh, good to be back here um, with you. Uh, so what am I going to talk about on the day that I come back from all this vacation? Uh, we're going to talk about work this morning. Um, and it's not that I've gotten some great uh, kind of insights while being on vacation uh, about work, but um, it's that we have God's perspective uh, in his word. Uh, we've been in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at what God has to say, uh, what wisdom that he gives for work, for uh, the various work that we do from our jobs and our vocations to the work that we do uh, with our children to the work that we do in the church, uh, this thing called work. What is the wisdom that God gives? So if you need a Bible, um, put up your hand, and we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, looking at several different passages there. So we want you to have a Bible. You can also open up that app and uh, find the scriptures in there as well. As we've been in summer, we've been in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is kind of a good summertime um, uh, book to be in. Uh, we've been looking at some various things. Proverbs gives us some practical wisdom for everyday life. So these are God's timeless truths, and many of them were written uh, 2,000 years. Uh, 3,000 years ago uh, even, but what we find are these are generally principles about how life 
works. And so we can look at, we go through the various things in life to say, what does God have to say about these things? They were written mostly by um, a guy by the name of King Solomon, who was uh, known as Israel's wisest king. And uh, some other sages added to it uh, as well. But ultimately, what we believe is that these are God's truths, God's perspectives on some things. And so um, as we look at Proverbs, as we look for this wisdom, we all need wisdom, but we are implored first and foremost to seek out this wisdom in our life, to seek what God has to say. In Proverbs 4, I'll begin here, uh, is what uh, just kind of general look at Proverbs and this pursuit of wisdom. Proverbs 4 verse 1 says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son, my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Hear the heart of this. It's the heart of a father speaking to a son who desires life, who desires good things, who desires blessings. And this is the heart that these Proverbs are written to us today. It says, do not forsake wisdom and she will keep you. Love wisdom and she will guard you. And the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, whatever you get. Get insight. So the very first pursuit that we have is to seek after uh, wisdom for the things that we struggle with uh, in life. As we go through the different things, we all show up here with lots of different things that we're going through. And and so we're talking about some of these things. Next week, we're going to look at some Proverbs, some wisdom for families. Um, So particularly if you're in a family uh, situation, which we all are, right, in one form or another in some stage, there are going to be good Proverbs for us next week. Today we're going to talk about wisdom for work. And so I'm going to read some various Proverbs, uh, then we'll pray, and then we'll look at, at what God is saying to us through these words. Beginning in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29, says this, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Proverbs 6, 6 to 11, says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Proverbs 26 says this, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hands in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 22, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs 13 says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 24, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Lord God, Heavenly Father, um, we thank you 
that we can come before you and call you Heavenly Father. That you are a loving Father who desires to instruct us in wisdom. That you desire to lead us in life. And so you've given us your words, your timeless truths in the midst of changing times. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us today. That you would give us wisdom uh, even to understand that you would instruct us in your love, that you would instruct us by your spirit, that we would understand the insight that you have for us, how we can live a blessed life, how we can pursue your ways, that we may not get our desires in life, but that we may experience the life that you sent your son to the cross for us to receive. So, uh, Lord, teach us today, wherever we are. God, I know that I am lacking wisdom to be able to apply these truths to everyone's lives but you want to speak to your children this morning so come speak we open our hearts we open our ears to listen to you in jesus name amen so my first job um began very early in my life you see i was the uh, son of a uh, construction worker actually my dad owned his own uh, concrete masonry business Uh, And so at the tender age of five years old, he used to take me and my brother to the job site. Uh, Now, at that time, we used to just kind of play in the sand, and he'd give us a dollar a day uh, just for being there with him, and we'd have some fun. But um, as we began to get older, he didn't hold back from giving us tasks. He was the uh, immigrant of a German family came over from the old country where there's a way to do things and it was hard work and it was uh, earning your dollar. So we learned early on as a teenager, uh, my job was to wake up uh, before the crack of dawn at uh, five o'clock in the morning. My dad would come down and wake us up and uh, I tell you, as a teenager, um, that was not a pleasant thing. And so, uh, but I, I learned that um, that was kind of what work was, to go and to work hard, to, um, as a construction laborer, um, some of you know this, is a lot of hard work day after day uh, in the sun. And so kind of learned um, to despise work uh, early on, um, to learn the value of it, yes, because it was good to get a little bit of uh, money at the end of the day to be able to do what kids do with money, um, and to learn that value uh, of work. And as I grew older, began to hear different people's perspectives on work. And my own father uh, began to say, you know what? Um, go to college. Don't do this the, the rest of your life. Uh, he had wanted my brother and I to take over the business, but as he got older, he said, go do something else. So I began to pursue uh, academia and live life in that and uh, just apply different values of work as we go. And today I'm in ministry. But what I found is that sometimes the values that we learn growing up shape uh, who we are, how we view things. So for each one of us, the value that we have for work uh, probably has something to do with our background. Maybe it was the family that you grew up. Maybe you did, like I grew up, have families that really stress hard work. Or maybe you came from a a background that stressed the the getting of money or getting of status. And so that shaped your value of work. Uh, Maybe you went through some different circumstances uh, in life that made you love work, despise work, uh, and just uh, end up with wherever you view work today. Uh, So I want to begin by asking you the question before we get into Proverbs to say this. uh, How do you view work? What is it that you work for? Uh, There's a blank on the screen here that maybe you just fill in in your mind or you can write it on your notes where you say, I work for what? How would you answer that question? Maybe you say, 
I work for the weekend. I work uh, for the money. I work to provide for my family. Uh, I work for retirement. I want to work really hard now to build up for uh, a retirement in the future. I want to work for the comfort, for the lifestyle. So I'll do some work so that I end up uh, getting there. Or maybe you answer in a more spiritual way since we're in church and you want to answer in a spiritual way. And you say, I work for the glory of God or something like that. I work to provide well for my family. What is it that you work for if you were to answer honestly? What is work really about? What is God's perspective on work? That's what Proverbs is going to give us. And what we're going to find, and we've already read some of the scriptures, we find what Proverbs does is contrast the sluggard and the diligent worker. Now, probably just based on whatever our value system is, we don't want to be called sluggards, right? I mean, sluggard is a great word that the author of Proverbs, you know, maybe we should bring that word back, the sluggard. Um, what, what does that mean? The, the Proverbs uses the word sluggard 14 times when uh, he's addressing work. And so what does it have to say about this sluggard, this person, what is being addressed? I mean, it's really pretty funny, right, this picture? I mean, nobody laughed when I read the scripture because we don't always read it. But uh, the picture is uh, the slugger lays on his bed, turning here and there. He can't even have enough energy uh, to bring his hand to his mouth once he puts it in the Cheeto bag. You know, that's kind of the picture that we have here. That's the sluggard. But if we look at these scriptures, what is it that we can learn? Proverbs 22 says this, do you see a man... Oh, sorry, if we go to Proverbs yeah, 26, as the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard is perpetually on his bed is the picture that we get there. In other words, the sluggard is not where he should be. When he's awake, he should be pursuing uh, work rather than kind of just tossing and turning on bed. So the sluggard, the picture that we get is, is in the wrong place. The picture that we also get is this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Notice this. It's a little, a little, a little. Most people don't wake up and say, I want to be a sluggard in life. But it's just kind of a little bit by a little bit, little bit. They don't end up there all at once, but slowly end up in this position in life. Another thing that the sluggard says is... There's a lion outside. I can't go out. I shall be killed in the streets. In other words, a sluggard makes excuses. They can't change the position of their life. Now, we may not say that going out to a lion, but it's for whatever. I can't uh, go out because, you know, I'm going to have to take the bus and that's going to be hard and um, all these different things that we make excuses, perhaps, if we are the sluggard. Finally, we're told this. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Ultimately, the life of a sluggard is not deeply satisfied. Even though there may be some getting things free from any labor, um, he's not deeply satisfied. You see, in the end, this is not really speaking about just a, a bunch of habits, but it's talking about a perspective on work. It's talking about an attitude towards work, where work is viewed as an inconvenience to what is truly the goal of life in their eyes, which is to not work. 
to finish the work day so you can get on to real life, that you can finish a career so that you can get on to retirement. And these are kind of the heart that comes along with the slugger that Proverbs is talking about here. And then the author of Proverbs does something that really is a little bit insulting to those of us who are created in the image of God as the pinnacle of creation. He says this, go to the ants. Look at the ants, O sluggard. Consider their ways and be wise. See, there's a lesson to be learned from the ants. It says, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. Without having any chief officer or ruler. You see, the ant doesn't have the whole structure that we have of a, a boss that kind of tells them where to go. No, instinctively, the ant, you know, these little ants that we see, that we squash, that we get pest control so that um, we don't have them in our house anymore. The ant understands instinctively in what's been put in them by the creator that they work for the common good, instinctively knowing that. That's what they were created for, and they understand that. And so, though it may be a little bit insulting to say, hey, look at the ants and learn the lesson, we want to be wise. We want to learn what God would have to say for us. And so, uh, what he is saying to us is to be wise, to understand what you were created for. My friends, we were created in part for work unto the glory of God. So if our view is that a work is just this bad thing, we need to understand our theology of work. Our theology is God's perspective on this thing that we call work. And maybe different than ours, we may know this, but what is our theology of work? If we were to go back to the very beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 1 in our Bible, we'll see that God does the work of creation that he creates. And at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates man and woman, male and female. And he creates them in his image as the pinnacle of creation. And he calls them to be part of his work saying, I give you dominion over creation. Subdue it. Be a part of managing and stewarding this creation. And then he also says, be fruitful and multiply. Be a part of creating along with me. See, God created us to work. More specifically, it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis chapter 2. Now, this is all before sin. This is all pre-fall. And what we learn is that work is part of the good creation. It's part of God's good call to, for humanity. Work is good. Work is unto the glory of God. Pre-fall, pre-sin, it is a good thing is what we learn. And we see it throughout the Bible that God created out of a work. He created his creation to be a part of the work. We go on in scripture, we see that God always leads in the work and then invites us to be a part of of it. We see Jesus come and doing a work on the cross, which was sacrificial, which was hard, going and doing the work of salvation and then inviting us to follow. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this great truth of the gospel. 
where we're told, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Salvation was the work of God, not our work. But once we receive it, we need to know the truth of Ephesians 2, verse 10, that says, for we are his workmanship. God worked. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we'll see throughout the New Testament, in view again of God's work for us, then we join him in the work that he wants to do in earth. God invites us in his grace to not just get saved and look forward to heaven one day when we'll sit and everything will be comfortable, but he invites us to be part of his work. In fact, in the New Testament, he says that we are co-workers with him in the field. And he says, pray that God would send out workers for the harvest. So what we need to understand, God's all-powerful, God's sovereign, God can do. He is the creator, he is the provider of all good things. God can right all the wrongs if he wants to, but he has chosen to invite us into his work of redemption. So we can say something like Haiti, we can say, you know what, Um, you know, God can take care of that. Somebody else will go, but God in his grace wants to invite us to be part of things like that. Even in your work, because sometimes we make this distinction between sacred stuff like going on a mission trip to Haiti and our everyday workplace where God has you right now. We're sitting in this room as doctors and lawyers and students and uh, laborers and janitors and all the various range that we have here. The reality is that that's more than just a paycheck. The reality is that God has invited us to be part of his redemption work. So if you are a builder, you are part of God's creative work. If you are in the field of justice that can bring compassion, that can bring healing in those areas, you are part of God's good work in this world, things that he wants to do, the way he wants to use us as his people. It's not just that if you work in the church, well, then that's good stuff. It's that wherever he has us, God has created us to be workers. He's given you gifts and abilities, and he calls us into them. This is our view on work. And in fact, to take it one step further, because it goes throughout all of Scripture, it shows us there. Uh, Sometimes we have a skewed view of heaven, where we've learned kind of from the cartoons that, uh, you know, heaven is about sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, and, and singing songs all day, and just kind of lounging back. The picture that Scripture gives us is of the new heavens and the new earth. And there's actually a picture in the Old Testament prophet of Micah where, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, he says, They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And the picture that you get there, you know, obviously that there will be peace in heaven, no more war, praise God. But there's also the picture of what happens to the weapons. They are uh, built into working tools. And the idea that part of uh, our worship in the new heavens and new earth is not just sitting back, but that uh, we'll actually do work in a worshipful manner unto God in the new heavens and new earth. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but Scripture tells us that work is from the beginning, pre-fall, an important part of our lives. It's part of our walk with Christ. It is part of our future. So how do we view work? 
And we may say work is good. It's very easy to say that on Sunday morning. Um, It's another thing on Monday morning. Because we live in the reality beyond Genesis chapter 2, which is Genesis chapter 3, which speaks about the brokenness that comes in as man and woman choose to go their own ways rather than God's way. It breaks everything, including this view of work. And we're told in Genesis chapter 3, because of the curse on creation, that now work will be toil. It says, thorns and thistles shall bring forth as you eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of the brokenness of sin, work is a lot of toil now. It's, it's broken. The reason that we struggle uh, in a daily basis through it is because it now comes with toil. It's equated with the sweat of our face. And so it's hard. So, I mean, if we want to look at an application of this in the sense of gardening, you know, I know I personally, not that I'm a great gardener or anything, but I like to go out and pull my weeds, um, you know, for like the first five minutes. You know, I go out there, and I even have kind of this, this theology, okay, I'm, God was a creator, and he created the garden, so I go out, and this is going to be worshipful as I pull the weeds, and that, that lasts for about five minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I get so focused on the weeds and on the, the work and the sweat that it's caused me and the toil that it's not easy, that when you just pull on the weed, the top comes off and it leaves the root and it's going to come back and I'm going to have to do it over and over and over and over again. You see, in creation, we were created to work with one eye on God and one eye on the work in a way that we realized as we joined with him uh, that it was something fulfilling, something glorifying to God and it was to be bliss to be part of working his creation. But now even if we try to do that, we end up so focused on the work. We take our eyes off of God and focus on the work in front of us, which is toil and sweat producing, even if we love it. I love my work here uh, in ministry and as a pastor. And it is very easy on my two weeks of vacation to you know, talk about how much I just love being in in ministry and, and get some real clear sight, uh, calling, but then you come back for two days and uh, you're going through the emails and it gets tedious and you're trying to arrange schedule and it just gets overwhelming. The same thing that you go through. So we may sit here on Sunday morning and say, you know what? You know, work is to the, the glory of God. Work is good. And we go into tomorrow morning and we live in this tension where it's hard because of the brokenness. Uh, we're not where the good creation was started. And so how is it that we uh, navigate this life? How is it that we go through that in all our brokenness of sin? Well, we do what we do. We come back and we focus on God's truth for our life to be reminded of what we've lost track of in the midst of the chaotic and crazy world that is our everyday life. We come back and we hear God's truths and we get this perspective. And then we allow the gospel to continue to work through us day after day to realize the brokenness of our sin and look to Christ for help in our everyday. We depend on one another to keep us focused, not on the trials of life and the difficulties of it, but on Christ who went to the cross for us. And so that's what I want to do this morning. 
is as we look at Proverbs, just to come back to these truths, to understand what they mean for our lives, and as we live them out, to let the gospel continue to work in us. Now, the truth that Proverbs has given us, they use the word sluggard a lot. Now, I struggle a little bit with the application of this for uh, you, my friends, and my church here in Davis, because as I look out here, I don't see a bunch of sluggards. I don't go back on vacation and tell everyone, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working with a bunch of sluggards in Davis. That's just not the reality. I mean, we are hardworking people that apply ourselves to our work, that apply ourselves um, to our families. And so it's not only that you go and you work the job, but you come home and you're working in your families, you're trying to, to work in your marriage, you're adding in serving things from the church, serving things in your city, you're taking your kids to soccer, you're taking them to baseball, you're taking them to swimming, gymnastics, something different every night. There's no lack of work. So how is it that we are supposed to apply this? Well, I want you to know that the book of Proverbs was not written to a bunch of lazy bums. The book of Proverbs was written to overachievers and underachievers alike. It was actually, many of them, written to um, the ambitious kind of up-and-coming uh, government officials. We see that in some of the Proverbs that are addressed to people who are in positions uh, of government and office. Proverbs 23 speaks about the etiquette of how they eat together and this and that. So it's not just to lazy bums. It's to hardworking people. So how is it, what are we supposed to grasp? What are we supposed to learn from this? What is the wisdom for today? And number one, I'll say this. If the word slugger does resonate with you, um, it's time to engage. Uh, in whatever that is. Again, I don't think there's a lot of us who are lazy out here, but you know, work is more than just about our vocation. Uh, we are called to work in our spiritual life as we live out, work out the salvation that Christ has given to us on the cross. Maybe we're getting lazy in that area. And sluggard would define you there. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your marriage where you say, you know what, I have been a little bit lazy there. You know, I go to work and I pour into the hours and I make a huge difference in those hours. But then I come home and I sit on the couch and kind of like a door turns this way and that I'm all just about myself. And so maybe there would be some area and if God speaks to you in that, well, then it's time to engage. To realize, you know what, life is in view of the work that Christ has done for us and the way that he has saved us, not to earn his grace, but it is about applying ourselves and living that out. So if the word sluggard speaks to you, it's time to engage. Secondly, I say this, if you desire to be a sluggard, it's time to refocus. Now, none of us are going to say, I desire to be a sluggard, but I think of it in our, the way that we view work. If, you know, we viewed work in a way that just says, you know, let me get through it so that I can get to what I really want to do on the weekend. If I just want to get through it so that I can one day retire and sit on a beach chair and sip my drink, that's not the life that God has called us to. He's called us to a life of work from beginning to end, of applying the gifts and skills that he's given to us. So if you came in maybe saying, I just wish I could give up work, that's not what God's called us to. So if you desire to be a sluggard, don't. Refocus on what God's called you to. But I think for most of us, the question is this, that we do not think that we are, 
but we might want to re-examine really what God is saying to us here. It might be a good time to say, okay, are there tendencies where there's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of folding of the hands that may lead unexpectedly to a life that we don't really desire, that we know God doesn't desire for us, little by little that may lead us there. Proverbs chapter 24, which we already read, says this, I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. I passed by the field of a sluggard, a vineyard of the sluggard. I don't know if that initially kind of uh, catches you off guard, but... You know, vineyards a bit. We live close to, you know, Napa and Sonoma here. You know, vineyards are not generally things that sluggards have. But you need to understand the context of Proverbs here. Again, Proverbs was written in a time in Israel when God's people were experiencing more than any time in history, maybe more than any other civilization, civilization in history, the prosperity that God had brought them. The time of King Solomon, known as a time of peace after King David. Where in Solomon's wisdom, the temple was built in all its glory. The palaces were built in all its glory. They're experiencing the blessing that God had promised to his covenant people Israel. And so the time that this is written is a time of great privilege when even the sluggard would have a vineyard. But there's a problem when such a blessing is entrusted to somebody that doesn't know what to do with it, doesn't apply themselves to it. It begins to get overgrown. The weeds grow up. The walls fall down. It doesn't bear fruit. You're not experiencing the blessing of it. So in view of that, the fact that this was written to a people who had such privilege, such wealth, such resource, I'd say I think that there's a message for us there too. As we... Think of us as the people in Davis and the surrounding cities. I mean, we are a blessed people of privilege. So much ability, so much gifting, so much skill. For many of us, we have also the resource of youth, which means we have many years ahead. That decisions that we make now, ways that we live out life, have repercussions in the future. I mean, we live in America. We are blessed people with much privilege. And what is being told here to those people of great privilege is to understand. It assumes that there is privilege and it calls to stewardship. It's saying, okay, look at those who had a vineyard that had the potential, who had the blessing of the Lord, and what did they do with it? Allowed to just get overgrown. And as day after day went by, a little, a little, a little inattentiveness to the blessing that God had given ended up being unuseful. So, as I say that we're to re-examine our lives, I think examining our work life is a constant thing for us in following Christ, in view of what he's given for us, in view of what God says us in Proverbs Look again at the description that I gave of the sluggard. 
one who finds themselves in the wrong place, when they're supposed to be doing something else, they're taking the easy way. Somebody who probably doesn't generally end up there all at once, but little by little, day after day, inattentiveness to really what they're supposed to be doing with the blessing, ended up in a place they never intended to be and won't get themselves out of it because of fear of what might be out there of stepping out. Ultimately unsatisfied, discontent deep down in their soul. Now, there's all kinds of work that we could talk about, but if we're looking at vocation, job, and career, Forbes magazine just came out with a study that said 53% of Americans are discontent, unhappy in their work. In talking with us here, I look at those in, in my age range, you know, 30s going on 40s, where we've been working for a little bit of time, there's a growing discontentment among men and women that say, I've been doing this for a little while, but I don't know how to get out of it. You know, that discontentment in where God has called us doesn't seem to resonate with the truth of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2 that says, you were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works throughout your lifetime that he planned and called for you to, that he blessed you with all the blessings of heaven that he gave you the gifts, that he gave you his Holy Spirit to be able to use, yes, in the church and serving, but also in our world to be part of his redemptive work, to apply the skills, the abilities, the privilege that we have been given, not to just kind of turn the hinges day after day, walking through the door, going through the grind, being driven more by fear than by faith. There's a parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, which says that seed is sown, which is the gospel message, and it falls on some different soils. Um, one of the soil is, you know, hard soil that never takes any root and the gospel is pulled away and another is shallow. Um, but there's a soil that always kind of troubles me. And it, it's the one where the the gospel takes root, and it even begins to grow. But that gets overwhelmed by the weeds. That gets overwhelmed by the thicket. That gets overwhelmed by the things of life. It's not the fruitful soil. And it reminds me back of what it said in Proverbs, that if we are not intentional, if we're not attentive, if we're not continually examining where God has called us, we can end up living an unfruitful life, just overgrown by the weeds of the world rather than being who God has called us to be. God has called us to consistently examine what he's calling us to, not just to fall into a pattern of work, of going through the motions of stuff, but to really seek where he's calling us to and allow him to do a work to guide us. Now, that's hard to do in the everyday. How do we hear from God? How do we walk in his calling? Well, one of, there's a couple questions that I want to give you that may help you think about this as we wrap up here. 
And one of the questions is this. Are you feeling discontent in your work in life right now? Is there a discontentment? Now, you have to view it why there might be a discontentment. One is that you may have some messed up views of work, as we talked about. You may not have God's perspective. You may be seeing it as a a drudgery, and what God would say is you need to change some attitudes in your heart based on the truth that I've given you. And so what is God's perspective on work? Do you have that perspective? And how can you view the work where God has you right now in a way? Maybe what needs to change is you. However, if you're feeling discontent, there may be something that God's doing where he's actually telling you there's something that needs to change in your life. Maybe it is a change in your work. Maybe you have been fearful and making those reasons that are real fears. Hey, there's a lion out there. If I step out, I may not gain the provision that God that I have right now. I may not get the paycheck, but yes, you may miss what God has for you. I, want to, I got to visit my brother back on the East Coast. Um, he was a civil engineer, um, and he was working on a project out of college, um, building a train station back there, which is a huge thing in the, the, the Northeast. Um, and he was put in an hour after hour after hour. He was advancing. He was being promoted. He had kids, and he continued to, to, to work this job that was running him ragged, that was making him unavailable for his kids. One of the things I I respect is the decision that my brother made was to go out of the the place that was promoting him, that was leading him to everything that he had hoped it would be, and he became a construction insurance guy because it would allow him some hours to work at home. It would allow him to be present and, and coach his son's baseball games, to be present there with his family at such a pivotal time in his life. And you know what, God, he's seen God's blessing in that. I was able to witness that, going back and watching my brother coach his son's a baseball game there. But he had to examine, in view of all that God was calling him to, was this career track the right one? Now, I don't, I'm not saying for any of you to go and to quickly say, hey, I'm supposed to get a new job. No, we need much counsel in that. We need prayer. What I'm saying is we need to examine, in view of all that God has called us to, in view of how he has called us to work, in view of the stage he has us in our family, in view of uh, this discontentment you may be feeling, what is God doing? Are you pausing to seek what he has? That yes, may be a little bit fearful, but he may lead you into a different place of blessing. If you're feeling discontent in the stage of life, you're why, why is it? What's the reason? The second thing that I would say is this, is realizing for us that our whole lives are to the glory of God, including our work, including our vocation. It's not that we do secular work and then we um, get home with the family and then we do godly work or we come to church on Sunday, but then Monday we put God back on the shelf. No, all of our life, everything that we do is unto the glory of God. And here is the awesome good news is that God calls it. He said in the New Testament, he said, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. He spoke to a people and he said, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. Now we grapple with what does that look like in our work lives? How do we navigate through that? But the reality is that our work lives, our vocation, 
is unto the glory of God. He has created us. He has gifted us. He has given us skills to be about the good works he has called us to do. Proverbs 22, which we read, says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. What he's saying there is not insulting those people who don't work around kings. No, what he is speaking to is the fact that a vocation, using the skills that God has given you to work in this world, even among secular people, are actually a commissioning from God, being used for the king who is Jesus, being used to honor him. Do you view your work life as useful to the Lord? Are you doing a work of redemption in what he's calling? Are you doing a creative work that God has skilled you and gifted you? Well, let it be this. Let us not be lazy in pursuing what God has gifted us to pursue. Let us continually lay ourselves before him and allow God to adjust, walking in fear and not in faith, to pursue all that he has for us, that we may get the life not that we desire, but the life that he has for us. So let's close just by taking a few moments here by bowing our heads. We've read a lot of different scriptures. I've shared some different thoughts. In this time, it really right is a is a time we're not we're not working, we're sitting. We're here uh, for a reason, as we showed up because we want to seek God. We want to maybe hear a word from him. We maybe want an answer to life. So let's take a moment. What's God saying to us? In a moment when we're surrendering our work, to hear anew from him. God, I thank you for your good grace to give us your truth, to share your heart, to share your word with us. God, sometimes we bounce around these Proverbs and we wonder what they mean to us, but we know that your spirit will come and, and guide us. You've promised us that. So I pray for my friends, for my church here, that you would speak to us. God, I pray for those of us who work diligently, that we would never fall into the trap of being lazy with the call and with the gifts and the abilities that you've given us. Jesus, we, we hear the truth that you died on the cross for us to give us new life. We want to live that life in you. One of the other things that we're freed of is needing to do work to appease God, needing to do work to gain God's pleasure in us. The reality of the cross of Jesus is that Jesus came and did a work that we could never do, that we could be saved by his grace. 
that even if we have not been walking in his ways, if we've been lost in sin, if we've been uh, lazy in our calling, if we've been in a wrong direction in life, the cross of Jesus is able to cover all of that. He gives us his grace. And in view of his grace, that there's nothing that we need to do to please him. He calls us to live a life, to honor him, to be part of his work. And so if you're tired of your work, if you're feeling worn out, we have a Jesus who said, come to me, all who are tired and weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So Jesus, we come to you. We know that work and even toil is a part of this life, but Jesus, we wanna be able to rest in you. We wanna know your grace. We wanna be able at the end of the day Say, Jesus, I sought to use what you blessed me with to honor you. If we need correction, God, correct us. If we need encouragement, Lord, build us up. If we just need some rest, God, I pray that you would grant it to us, whether that's today in this moment, whether that's a vacation that's coming up. But Jesus, in view of the work you did for us, let us live our lives to you. We give them to you in our lives, Jesus. In your name, amen. Every week at Discovery, we take communion, and we do this as a reminder of the hope and the promise of Christ's return, the salvation that we call Jesus our Savior, the the hope that we have. Um, And we at Discovery would would desire that you take time uh, before you come and take communion to reflect on your relationship with Christ, what it means to have hope in Him, what it means to trust in Him, um, to lay things before the cross, um, acknowledging that sometimes we need to refocus, we need to restart. Um, and so our desire is that you take time to do that before coming and taking the elements. When you come, you'll see there's bread, uh, which represents the body of Christ, there's a bowl of juice represents the blood of Christ and you just take the bread and dip it into the juice um, and if you if you call yourself a Christian if you have a personal relationship with Christ we would love to share communion with you um, we also would love to extend an invitation to everyone to visit the prayer corner which is on the uh, left hand side of the stage if you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Christ we would love to answer those questions um, but when you've taken time to reflect we would love for you to come and uh, take communion